Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of the usual suspects with me today as far as co-hosts go. First up, he's the other lore-focused writer over on Blizzard Watch, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi! Hello, everybody. <laughs> That's it. Just a hello, everybody? Yep, pretty okay. much. How you doing? <laughs> Fine. Yeah. Hello, everybody. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave it at that. Uh, second up, we've got our other co-host, who is our Shalman columnist, but he's also really versed in lore as well, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello, everybody. How's it going? I am full of very delicious sushi, so very, very good today. Oh, okay. Well, sushi... Su- that was my reward for having to work today. I can't even talk today. I'm like sushi, sushi, yeah, I sushi. Yay, great. So, um, <laughs> this week was actually kind of a big one in terms of World of Warcraft, which is what we're going to be talking about today because um, that's what we usually end up talking about. One of these days, we're going to have to do another Overwatch one again. But um, World of Warcraft and Taurus came out and of course with Antorus being released that means that people buzz sawed their way through the whole thing got to the end and unlocked the final cinematic for the raid which was um pretty interesting needless to say this episode is going to be full of spoilers for the end of Antorus and possibly leading into beginning of Battle for Azeroth. If you're avoiding any of that information, you may want to hold off and like come back after you have seen all of it for yourself. So this is your fair warning. Um, woe betide any of you who listen beyond this point and do not want to be spoiled because it's just going to happen immediately, okay? All right. So, cinematic. Um, there were several cinematics actually involved with... And Taurus, because we had like those lead up unlock cinematics where you went and talked to Magni and did his quests. And then you had one before the final boss fight, which was with Argus the Unmaker. And then you had the final cinematic of the whole thing. And I kind of want to talk about all of them as a whole, I guess, because I don't know. I I feel like this is the first raid in a long time that's been chock full of cinematics like the whole way through. What do you even guys before think? the even before the raid was even released? Yeah, yeah right. it was like there was like a cinematic lead up to it, and then within the raid itself, there was a lot of story involved. Obviously, I haven't been in Antorus myself because um, I don't have a raid guild. I do LFR. Sorry, guys, but um, as far as that goes, I have been following other people's progress and following what's been going on in there, and it seems like there's a really involved story that just kind of weaves its way through the entire raid. Um, do either of you guys, are either of you guys in a raid guild where you're actively raiding right now? Yep, I, I am. Have you been all the way through? No, um, mostly because, so, non, <laughs> non-lore-wise, non real okay. quick, just the variety of mechanics in Antorus is far and above anything that they've ever done before, which is very ambitious, and I enjoy this. Correct. But it does make for some interesting learning curves. That said, what I have gotten to go through has been absolutely fantastic, and it, it's... Everything that leads up to it, it perfectly slots in and fits in as you see the different pieces. And I think that's really important and it's really cool because one of the things that I always had a gripe with over all the years of raiding is that, you know, boom, here's a raid. And maybe here's a little quest that leads up to it and then everything else is just done in the raid. The fact that they've done everything with like the the Magni cinematics leading up to it, showing you not just like the first encounter of the raid, but very deep into the raid, what you're going to see, what you can expect and unveiling that story in these little sort of weekly snippets was really good because it it gave me a sense of intrigue that I haven't had in any other raid. Maybe closest would be something like uh, Ice Crown Citadel would probably be the next closest. But the presentation of the story inside of it complements it so well, whether it's the the comments that the NPCs and bosses make while you're in there or whether it's just going back and reflecting on, okay, this is the environment from the cinematic and you notice all these little things from there that that sort of add this sort of uh, immersive nature to it. I got to give them props for that. I, I think this is probably one of the coolest setups for a raid that they've done ever. I feel like as the expansions have gone on, it's like that first tier or two of of raids 
aren't necessarily the most story heavy. Legion mm-hmm. has done a really good job of making them story heavy because obviously and the, dungeons. the nightmare has like this whole overarching thing in it that we eventually resolve. And then we have the Nighthold, which has this whole overarching thing in it that we resolve. Tomb of Sargeras and now Antorus, like each of them have been really heavy on the story. Whereas you go back to, well, you look at Warlords of Draenor, um, Hellfire Citadel actually had like a story going on in it. Mm-hmm. I I can't really speak to as I mean we know how I feel about warlords. <laughs> it felt very disjointed to me, and it was like the, the raids, raids were too. The raids yeah. that were in there, they were presented. I mean, the raids themselves were interesting. The stuff that went on inside them was interesting, but it felt really disjointed as a whole. And then you go back to Missa Pandaria and those early raids. I mean, yeah, there was kind of a reason for us to be there, but it wasn't really until the Isle of Thunder and Siege of Orgrimmar mm-hmm. that the story element really started kicking in. And it was the same thing with Cataclysm. You you didn't really see it start kicking in to high gear and kind of addressing the entirety of the expansion until you got to Dragon Soul. Um, now, I, w- I will say that the only other expansion that I think has done a very good job of weaving uh at least a, a attempt at a cohesive story or a thread between all of the raids and dungeons honestly was burning crusade and everything evolved whether we wanted to or not it, it revolved around you know Illidan what? and what was going on there i didn't quite get it as well though with burning crusade it, it wasn't it wasn't as refined but it was there it was the attempt was there the attempts then, were there and they the, you is, know the threads were this being is the pulled. refined nature of it yeah, the threads were being kind of pulled into place. It felt like Black Temple, out of all of the raids, the one that we should have been most concerned with, it felt like Black Temple was kind of slapped on at the end. And that I think that was mostly mostly because Illidan didn't really have a, presence. a, a major presence throughout the expansion. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, we went into Overdrive with Wrath of the Lich King, where Arthas just literally showed up everywhere. Like, you stopped to sell things at a vendor, and Arthas would show up on you and then disappear. Um <laughs> you die, he's still there. But they did a really good job here of, with with very few exceptions, I'm not going to say everything ties together, because the stuff with Odin, while important, I wouldn't say necessarily ties in as deeply as I would have liked with some I of the other stuff. I always forget about the Halls of, the, is it Halls Val- of Valor? Yeah, yeah I, I always forget. I don't think I've even done that one on LFR. I think I still but need to go do that one on LFR, but it doesn't like... It's its own self-contained thing versus yeah. the other one right yeah and but with everything else everything else ties together at least has a thread uh in which it sort of pulls here and it's a cohesive story at least for the most part from start to finish with that that one little hiccup and i'm okay with that how do you feel about the raids and the story overall in legion rossi um i kind of feel like i'm going to be the one the person out here because i feel like in taurus doesn't have a lot to support it until this expansion we never heard about any of this stuff before so to me tomb of sargeras felt like the place to stop like i i felt from the beginning like legion should have ended with tomb of sargeras and argus should have been its own expansion like i really feel like they put two expansions in here and they could have done more to develop both of them which is weird to say and i'm not sure exactly how to put it like the broken shore felt strange and disjointed to me like it's like why are we doing all this weird stuff just so we we can like lead up to tomb of sargeras why don't we just go in i've always felt that way tomb of sargeras itself i think is a really good raid um i think there's a lot of the very interesting lore in that place and a lot of it we haven't really dealt with yet and that's my problem with the 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 lore throughout legion is it feels like we barely skim the surface of this stuff like uh the emerald nightmare and so forth really felt like okay now what and and didn't get finished. Um, the it's Nighthold like there's a got, dangling thread there, and we know we're yeah. going to pick that up again at some point. Nighthold very much. It, it feels like that's an that's an raid that's going to haunt us for years to come. Once once BFA comes out, uh, Tumas Argaris I thought was really well done, but I really felt like the Broken Shore itself wasn't as well done and didn't really contribute to the feel as much as it could have. Um, and as for Antorus and and Argus, they've both been incredible. I don't have anything against them. I haven't got a chance to go in and actually see Antorus yet. My my guild that I'm kind of semi-active with is going to be raiding it again this week, and I'll, hopefully I'll get to go in. But uh, in general, I feel like we've had, like, this last patch was an expansion's worth. Like, with, like, one or two more zones, Argus could have been... An entire expansion. An yeah. entire expansion. It's just, 
amazing to me just how much was in this patch. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I, I feel like I feel like Antorus is pretty amazing taken on its own, but it does feel kind of like, oh, and by the way, there's this place where, you know, all this stuff has been going on this whole time that we never mentioned before ever. Uh, oh, and, and, and the planet Argus has a soul. And that soul is going, it turns out that it does have a world soul and that world soul is going to be, oh, and the seat of the pantheons over this way. I still want to know, like, there's a lot of stuff where we're going to other worlds inside Antorus. We're not staying in Antorus. Like there's at least, I think at least two encounters take place completely outside of that, that raid. They're not in it at all. Yeah. And you Um, get a, there's also a little room too, where you get to see uh, a whole bunch of different planets too. There's like a whole portal set up. Yeah. So there's. It feels like, again, I, I feel like Legion as an expansion suffers maybe from having just so much stuff crammed in. I guess that's a that's a better problem to have than the, you know, Warlord's problem. I was going to say, I would, oh. I would rather have Legion's problem than Warlord's problem. I'm just no, saying. I, I got you. I understand that. But doesn't it I'll, kind of I'll feel like that cup. between Warlords and Legion, they, they could have put some of this in Warlords and done Warlords differently? I don't know. It feels like Warlords is half an expansion. And it feels like Legion is... Well, one and a half expansions. I'll give I'll give Anne credit for this one too for the idea because like I, I think she hit the nail on the head. Warlords was sort of like this interstitial expansion, right? Like it was this sort of in between. Yeah, it was, it was the bridge. I don't think that that bridge needed to be there. Honestly, if I were going to put anything in that, you know how I said, oh gosh, it would have made sense to have like Legion show up and then Warlords after that. You know what it would would have made more sense? Have Battle for Azeroth show up and then Legion. And then yeah, maybe Warlords that. after that. See, I don't know if I agree with that because I think a lot of the stuff from Battle is very dependent on what's happening in Legion. It, it is. It is. And I and I get that because, like, a lot of the stuff, I mean, obviously we've warned people about spoilers. The whole wound in the Earth thing that leads into the whole Battle of Azer- Azeroth thing. And, and you know, that's kind of like the fomenting source of this an- antagonizing between the Alliance and Horde, which has been going on for years and years and years. At the same time... I feel like they could have put that all-out brutal war back and forth thing right after Missa Pandaria, right after when we were still fresh from the Siege of Orgrimmar. You know, maybe have more people that were angry, that kind of thing. I, I don't Maybe, but here's my thing, uh, why I, I don't agree with that. I think to a certain degree the reason Battle for Azeroth is going to be interesting is that it is Sylvanas and Anduin in charge. Well, that's what I was just going to get yeah. to, but you interrupted me there, I was going to say. I didn't think that it would have... <laughs> quite the dramatic impact that's where i was kind of stepping back a little from that because i was like wait no because then varian would still be alive now it would would it have been nice to give like another chapter to Varian's story yeah probably because we didn't see a lot of him in warlords and what we saw of him in missa pandaria and coming out of missa pandaria was a Varian that was a little more tempered and a little bit you know he had more of a solid head on his shoulders and was making sense that kind of thing um and and I kind of would have liked to have seen that Varian be a leader a little bit more. Because it feels like a lot of Varian's story was about his ho- whole internal struggle thing. And every time he seemed to get that resolved, something else would come up that would kick that back into high gear. So it was like, he finally got all that settled. We got Miss of Pandaria, where he was like, you know, he seemed to be... I mean, obviously he was concerned for the welfare of his son. But beyond that the whole domineering father angle had kind of relaxed a little bit and he'd gone on to be more of a tempered leader, willing to listen to everybody and take everybody's input into consideration and that kind of thing. And then we didn't see him again until he got the axe. You know what I mean? It just, it feels like, it feels like Blizzard has this problem and and I don't know if it's like a story problem, like a story writing problem or whatever. If a character isn't going through some kind of conflict, they don't want to focus on them at all. Like, they don't want to show these characters triumphs. They just want to highlight the struggles. And then once it seems that they've overcome those struggles, they get rid of them. So, like, Jaina had this whole thing where, obviously, you know, the whole thing about Theramore and all of that. And in war crimes it felt like she had maybe reached that resolution but we never got to see the results of that resolution all we saw was a minor appearance in warlords of draenor where it was obvious that she hadn't reached that resolution that we thought she did in war crimes and that carried on into legion and she had just been kind of shoved to the side and i know i'm 
I focus on Jaina a lot here, but that's because I like Jaina as a character. But the thing is, is you can apply the same thing to Varian. Varian had just achieved that balance and that kind of tempered leadership, and then all of a sudden he's gone. Vol'jin had finally gotten some kind of story. He even got a novel. Like, he got a novel and he got, like, this whole intriguing element where he was, like, the leader of the rebellion against Garrosh Hellscream and all of that throughout Mists of Pandaria. And then what happened after he was appointed war chief? Absolutely nothing. He died. That was it. The end. And yeah, I just, just I want to see these guys' successes. Uh, I'm just going to say this. Woe betide the, uh, the Blizzard employee that pitches the idea of killing Anduin in the middle of the next expansion because you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> Christy's got a billboard, guys. <laughs> yeah, I will say though, to answer the original question you asked was, "What do I feel about Legion?" Yeah, I will say that overall, like I said, Legion's biggest flaw is that it has too much going on. Which, if you're going to have a flaw, that's the flaw to have. I don't think we can argue. I think we just basically made that really clear in in the discussion just now. But the the other thing I think to be pointed out is that Legion does something even Mists couldn't do. Mists had a lot of content. It had a lot of like lore happen in it. Legion invented whole stuff, a lot of new stuff, whole cloth. Because that's what Antorus is. Antorus, the surface of Argus, the other worlds we go to, a lot of stuff that happens in this expansion is brand new. The Nightborn didn't even exist as an idea before this expansion. Now they're going to be like a major deal allied race. Legion is actually, as much as it's closed some doors, it's actually opened a lot more. And it also did something we never thought we'd actually get to see in that it gave Illidan a story. Illidan had, didn't, have, feel didn't like, have a story in, in BC at all. Yeah, I anything. feel like this was kind of the redemption arc swan song for Illidan Stormrage, where all of those people, myself included, that looked at Burning Crusade and went, wait, he was on the box, but we barely saw him. And I mean, I was raiding. I, I mm-hmm. got to kill Illidan when he was current content and everything, and it just it felt like kind of anticlimactic. It was like, well, he was there, we killed him. I got a oh, war yeah, play. That was my biggest uh, my biggest gripe at the time is here's yeah. supposed to be this big bad and he's supposed to be the driving force of this entire expansion and yet in its I see way, him three times. Yeah. yeah, in its own way, I feel like Legion kind of feels like Burning Crusade Part Two. It was like mm-hmm. it's like here's the story of Burning Crusade only told that's, in a really coherent kinda, fashion. That's kind of where I was going to go earlier with it when I was talking about the only other the only other expansion that I felt did exactly or or at least tried to do what Legion has was Burning Crusade. It's the two the two are married. It feels like it feels like and I mean, you guys can argue about this if you want to. To me, when I was playing Burning Crusade, right, when I was back playing Burning Crusade and this was before I was writing about World of Warcraft a lot or anything, I was just really kind of entrenched in the lore and paying attention to it. It felt like Tempest Keep was that surprise gotcha at the end. Um, I didn't really follow spoilers or anything. I just followed what I was reading and seeing in game and, you know, the novels and things like that. Um so when that all came out and was kind of announced, it was like, oh my gosh, there's like this added coda at the end of all of this. <laughs> like, we thought we were done with Black Temple, but nope, there's another thing here. Argus feels like that to me, where it was like, okay, we went to tomb with Sargeras. We got all this done and dealt with and everything. And then all of a sudden, oops, nope, wait, there's a giant planet in the sky. We had to go deal with that thing. Only Argus is like 10 times bigger and better than Tempest Keep and the Isle of Kildanus ever was. Oh, you mean the Sunwell? Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. I was confused. Not you Tempest, said Tempest Keep. Keep. The Sunwell. I'm Sunwell. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's been yeah, a long say, day. The Sunwell, not Tempest, Tempest Keep. I, I, Tempest I'm Keep thinking, was there from the beginning. <laughs> right. I'm, no, I'm thinking about Kael'thas, and Kael'thas was originally in Tempest Keep. I just went there the other day to go get a vial. Anyway, um, no, the Sunwell. The Sunwell and the Isle of Kildanus. That whole thing popped up at the end of it all and I wasn't really expecting it as a player and you know maybe I wasn't as good at looking for hints and things like that at that point in time but it just I definitely it... think there's a certain amount of similarity between how Isla Quadanos and and Sunwell rolled out and how Argus and Antorus rolled out um the main it's, difference it's I like think is like the epilogue is... almost or like a, a an additional chapter that you weren't it's... quite expecting but all of a sudden oops it's there it's doing the thing that I think it's a mark of to me what what a good expansion does or what a good cycle in a game does, which is 
you tie up whatever loose ends you have, you have your thread going for the entire time, and then you build upon it into something that leads into either opening more doors, opening more threads, and sort of, you know, kind of continuing that that push, that that drive to keep going, versus Warlords, which really didn't, right? Like, it, it's... It, that's what they're doing here. They're doing all that thing. Like, like just like Rossi said, they may be, you know, tying all these loose ends up for some things, but they're creating brand new things, brand new threads. They're introducing new fabric to that, that tapestry. And that's the good thing. Right. And Let's yes, it be may... up front with something. Cause I, sure. I feel like we should just talk about it. Cause we, we yeah. said we were going to talk about the cinematics at the end of this expansion. We still don't know a lot. And oh Yeah. One of the things we don't know is the final fate of Sargeras and the Pantheon. We do not know exactly what happens to them. We know they do something that supposedly traps Sargeras, but let's be honest. Anytime Blizzard decided they wanted to bring them back, they have a perf- a, a giant door to do so. And that's oh, yeah. what that There's a blip does. in the sky that oh. could reopen. And, yeah. and that cinematic in the cinematic before that cinematic also sets that up as well. Yeah. Absolutely, it does. How so? Um, Explain, Joe. Because you have... Okay, so we're, we're operating under the assumption that the Pantheon is using all of their collective energies to keep Sargeras in, imprisoned, right? That's why Illidan's is... Again, this is why Illidan's staying behind. This is why the Pantheon's staying behind. And they're saying, go mortals, it's your time to shine, blah, blah, blah. However, before that, in the cinematic that leads up to the fight with Argus the Unmaker, the Pantheon's burning their energy. They're burning their energy to force... Argus to manifest. We don't know how much of that they get back, if any, or how much energy they really had at the end of that whole eternity of struggle that they've been going through since, you know, they've been trying to be broken for how many thousands of years at this point? You know, with the exception of ANR, I mean, they're they could be incredibly weak. Sargeras could break free. Like it's a thing that could happen. He hasn't been weak. Like we 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 sort of beat his booty years ago, but he was still strong enough to push the Legion forward to do everything he needed to do to create an entire engine of souls on another planet to birth a brand new Titan. Like he was powerful enough to get all these things in motion while the other ones were disembodied uh, souls being tortured in his factory. Like, so what they did, we don't know the lasting effects of it because we don't know how much power they had left. We don't know how much juice was left in their batteries. Okay. Rossi, go ahead and continue. Sorry. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, too, is that we don't know, like, we know that the next expansion deals with the consequences of what we just see in that cinematic. Um, we know that... And let's just flat Sar- out say it. Sargeras plunges his sword into Azeroth. Yeah. Silithus po- is done. Silithus is toast. It is the quarterback. <laughs> but when uh, when this happens, we, we see him summon his blade and, and jam it into the world. And then he lets it go, and when, when he's pulled back, the uh, what's interesting too is there's kind of a translation difference. Like he is planet sized when they grab him. Like he is the size of of Azeroth. He is like he is so big that he is like literally a giant cloud climbing on the planet. And mm-hmm. then they pull him out, and when they pull him to the seat of the Pantheon, he is different. He is smaller. So there's a translation deal. Being in the seat of the Pantheon seems to translate them. Well, they seem to get they're smaller. Pulling him, they're pulling him and they're also draining his power while they're pulling him. So I don't know yeah. if that attributes for the size shift or what. But, but... but it, it, that's the thing. We don't know. There's yeah. a lot we don't know here. We know that Illidan's kind of understood this was going to happen. Whether or not he foresaw it or just expected it, he he prepares himself. He, he gives you a crystal to take back to his brother and his brother's wife who he still has a thing for um and wow i'm, I'm gonna give a little credit for still having a thing for someone after that many thousands of years you know dude you, you need to learn to let go uh but he didn't and that's why we're still alive so anyway there's, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot going on here that we don't know yet what it means we, we don't know what it's going to like the legion is broken at the end of this it's it's fair to say this the legion it doesn't have it doesn't have kill Jaden. it doesn't have archimond and it doesn't have Sargeras. So it doesn't have its big leaders anymore. And we have no idea, like, are they dead for good? Because Antorus was still up and running when we killed both of them. Mm-hmm. And Antorus, even if you die in the nether, Antorus pulls you out, you get tortured for a while, then you get to come back. Is that Was that happening for Kil'jaeden in, in Archimonde? When we go into Antorus, do we screw that up, or do they end up getting loose sooner? 
Like what's going to happen now? Are they coming back? We don't know. Well, and then that's the thing. We have no idea. Like, and there's this theory running around that, that the soul of Argus is the sort of the fuel that burned that, which is without him or without it, the engine can't run, but there's nothing that confirms that there's nothing that flat out says that. And for that matter, even if it's the case, we know that demon souls went back to the nether to be reborn before Argus. That's, this that's is, flat out established. We know yeah, this that. is sped it up. So without Argus there, do they then go forth into the nether to be reborn the old fashioned way? Like there's, there's a lot here that they've, they've left the door open on. We, we, the Legion is as gone as they want it to be. And I think that's important because while we're focusing on new threats and new stuff coming down the pike and we've, We've gotten like there's a there's a chance here that we really could get some outright new stuff because we've not only do we get new stuff in this expansion, but we've been shown new worlds. Yep. You know, after Battle for Azeroth, we don't know what's coming next. And that's this this expansion is the first one since Mists to do that. That's what makes Warlords so such a weird interruption because Warlords isn't new stuff at all. Warlords is remember all that old stuff? This is it kind of different. And that's why it's always felt really strange to me. I heard an ex- inhalation of someone who wanted to talk and then they didn't, so I'm confused. <laughs> to me, Warlords was kind of like, it felt like they wanted to retell and or re-highlight these stories of old that maybe people weren't too familiar with because they didn't play the RTS games or whatever. So they wanted to show, you know, what had gone down on Draenor. They wanted to show all of that all over again for like a new audience. But that story wasn't really told effectively at all. It, well, that's I, a, I think I, it turned into said, something else. It turned into something else entirely. We've all said that Warlords did really well up, up front. Like its yeah. leveling experience was really good. And I think that's to a certain degree Legion took that ball and ran with it while at the same time taking what Mists did really well. With the end game Mist, stuff. Yeah. Mists did its end game really, really well. Um, I think that's not really disputable. It's unfortunate that they then had a year and a half or so before it was finally like done and we could go to something else. Um, hopefully Legion won't have that. But definitely I feel like this expansion and this raid in particular, this is, I don't want to say it's the best raid they've ever done because I haven't, like I said, I haven't gotten into it yet. But it feels like the most cohesive raid they've ever done where they really did sit down and say, okay, what have we been doing all expansion? What have we been... And we're not going to be coy anymore. We're not going to try a, and like hide things. We're yeah, going to just flat this, out throw them. It's it's like there's this threaded story throughout the raid that really wraps up the expansion. And Siege of Orgrimmar kind of did that, except that it was left open-ended at the end. And then we got that wrapped up in a novel. Legion, I don't think that it was left open-ended per se. There's room for us to move on. It's like, here's the end of this chapter. Now we can go ahead and do a new one. Whereas with War, or excuse me, with Miss of Pandaria, it felt like, here's the end of the chapter. By the way, we caught Garrosh Hellscream. You're not going to figure out what happens to him (laughs) until you read the novel that's coming out, you know? This one, it feels like you don't need to read a novel to understand the end of the expansion. And the novel that Christy Golden is coming up with right now is well and truly, it's it's a bridge. It's it's a bridge where you don't, you don't need to read it to understand the expansion. It's just additional material leading into the next one. You know what I mean? No, I, I think I agree. What I'm, what's interesting is we were talking about it before. And you said that you felt like uh, Warlords was kind of an interstitial expansion where... Yeah. And that's, if you think about it, Battle for Bazaroth basically has a Warlords happening before it in novel form rather than having to actually like play through it. Kind of. And Ooh. I think maybe that's the best use for novels in terms of lore is to set up something without actually like having to be... like I don't know. I, I honestly feel like we could have done... They could have. There's lots of ways they could have had Gul'dan come back. They could have just said, "Oh well, he was so corrupted by demons that they, you know, when when Illidan drained this the skull of like, Gul'dan, blah this blah, is whatever." Like, I mean, okay, this was my major complaint with Warlords of Draenor is that when I went back and and I mean, I wrote up, it was like a review of Warlords lore or something like that. It was my year end review, and it was addressing the end of Warlords, and I said. When we take a look at Warlords of Draenor, what did we get from this expansion? We got the attention of the Burning Legion. Well, we had that already, so we didn't really need like additional reason for it to pop up. And then we got Gul'dan, and we could have gotten him already. Because, I mean, yes, he was shredded apart by demons or whatever when he went to 
open the tomb of Sargeras back during what it was like in the middle of the second war near the end of the second war is when he ditched Orgrim Doomhammer and his and, and the horde and just went to go seize his own power and then he was killed all they had to do was make a change all they had to do was say oh no he wasn't killed you thought he was killed but he was actually assimilated into the legion and because he's assimilated into the legion that means that he doesn't really die and also he's been sent back to Azeroth now to open the tomb of Sargeras and actually work as the legion's servant they could even have done something they could have done like, that like, <laughs> the thing that I always kept in my mind was that they could have totally done a thing where they had Illidan's body trapped in the vault of the wardens, just like we saw. But since he had absorbed Gul'dan, when we quote unquote killed Illidan, Gul'dan eventually oozed out of him and took the body. And it would have been just like we saw before, you know, maybe there's a warden he corrupted on the way and boom, we got to corrupt a warden now since that's important. And you could have had pretty much everything we had before. I don't, but that's not to say that warlords wasn't at all useful. It didn't have things in it that were good, but the point I think what I'm trying to make here is that Legion manages to be very consistent, even with its, even when it reaches too far, it does so in a matter that you, you can follow. It does so in a consistent manner with itself. It is very self-contained. Whereas I don't think, I don't think even mists manage that. The only one I can think of that really came close to being this self-contained is wrath. Actually, I think Legion, I mean, Bur- uh, burning crusade failed utterly to be self-contained in, in that way. Burning crusade is actually the worst expansion in that its story is so scattered and so like I think one of the best raids in in, in Burning Crusade for lore was Zulaman, which had nothing to do with anything else that yeah, was happening. I mean Burning Crusade, it felt like okay, so when you look at classic World of Warcraft, vanilla World of Warcraft, when you look at that, the story was kind of disjointed and all over the place. It didn't really tie together. It was just a series of separate chapters that didn't really have anything to do with each other Very except much that like they, RTS. Comic book, really. except that they all they they all presented this major threat to Azeroth. Okay, whatever. You get to Burning Crusade and you start to see this this like progressive attempt to tell like a cohesive story. It's like the beginnings of it. And there's still mm-hmm. some of that holdover from Vanilla where it's like, oh, let's introduce this little bit of story here too, because that'd be interesting. And once we get into Wrath, that's when they start refining it. And they've just been refining it with like every expansion since. I feel like Legion is probably the pinnacle of all of that. There are still those random elements being presented. I mean, yes, you look at Halls of Valor and go, okay, well, what was going on there? I'm sure we'll see that pop up again at some point. But it I think did, that's going to be one that haunts us. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it did kind of fold in, though, and carry through with everything else. Like, it had weight on everything else in the expansion. Everything that played through Legion had weight on everything else in the expansion. And... I think this is the first time that it's really done that. I don't know if it quite ekes out Mists of Pandaria as my favorite expansion to date, but it's right up there. I mean, I think the two are tied at this point. I need to actually like play through Antorus, and since I do that on LFR, it's going to be a while before I see the end of Antorus. <laughs> but from what I've seen, all of the lore coming out of Antorus, I'm like, yeah, okay, no, this is really satisfactory what they did here. The only thing that might kick mists out of the way and it's got nothing to do with Mists of Pandaria is just if we don't have to wait a year and a half for the next expansion that'd be ideal that would make this pretty perfect if we get a new expansion in 2018 I think this is going to seal Legion as one of the best expansions yeah because it will will have actually wrapped itself up and then not made us spend too much time in the same place plus I mean there could be like a little bit more content coming when when we get uh, time walking Alduar Mm-hmm. And if that if that's the case, if we get a little bit more content as well, that's always nice. That's gravy. I would, it definitely I would, feels like we're going to get more content in seven three five because there's a lot of stuff being data mined, but we don't know yet. You know, how that's and they work keep out. saying they keep saying all of the uh, allied races stuff that we're seeing is just it's like oh this is in there because it's part of the stuff that's coming in the next expansion. It's not necessarily blah 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 blah. But the more that I'm seeing of all of this allied race stuff that's being pulled out, the more I'm like, are they going to give this to us a little early? Like, I not, don't know. I mean, the, that's what I've been thinking. Obviously not the well, Zandalari, it, because the Zandalari are like... But some of it would make sense, right? Like, if you did, like, the Nightborn and in, in, in the, you know, a Light Forged, and then you have the High Mountain Torrent, like, it would make sense that maybe their story starts at the end of Legion with us, right? Because... 
I'm going to say something that weird about that, though. I don't think I've lore wise, I feel really strange. It feels like the Horde got everybody who was from Azeroth to be their allied races. Like everybody who was from this planet, like the one that we're, you know, the one that we're supposedly saving, joined up with the Horde. And everybody who was already out there fighting the Legion joined up with the Alliance. And that's just really odd to me. Like I don't the think Horde, that... the Horde goes out there too. Why? Why are the Late Forge so quick to be like, ah, whatever? I, I, I'm pretty sure that the Light Forge. I mean, the Light Forge would obviously go with the Alliance because Teralion is 100. Yeah, that's going to be the big. That's going to be the big selling. The thing Void there, Elves. The Void Elves aren't from elsewhere. The Void. Well, actually, I don't know. We don't know much about the Void Elves or like where they come from just yet. Well, there's a. I've read a little about it. Like the, the the spoiler stuff. I read it. So yeah, I, I haven't read the spoiler of, stuff yet. But it's it's still strange to me. Like that. Alaria's leading a faction. Like then again, you know, Alaria's not going to join a horde faction. No, <laughs> no she's way not. is she going to. No. But, you know, if we're dealing with elves, those those are from Azeroth. And then the other Dark the Iron other, Dwarves are already from Azeroth. I was gonna say the other allied race is Dark Iron Dwarves, and they are very much from Azeroth. So I don't Yeah, but we don't know anything about what they like the like you mentioned with the Zandalari as well. The Zandalari and the Dark Irons that we're gonna be meeting are not connected to Dark Irons we've already met. You know, I, I think I've Okay, I understand what you're saying in terms of with the Nightborn and the High Mountain, these are the guys that were already on Azeroth with us while we were fighting on the Broken Isles and everything, whereas the Lightforged Renai were off on Argus somewhere, and they come back, and then the Void Elves come from, we don't know where, but if Valeria is leading them again, we have another person who is away from Azeroth and is coming back. Okay, I'm not so saying I get where you're coming from. Bad. I'm not saying it's wrong or bad. I just say yeah. it's interesting to note that it feels an awful lot like the alliance isn't very good at making alliances, <laughs> for lack of a better way to put it. They're I not. Think great they are. Just... I think that we just we ran across the wrong types of people for them to make allies with at this point. You know? Well, I mean, even the, the alliance, mountain, like, I don't really, I don't really expect the high mountain to go with the alliance because it's it's real hard to have the only other torn, like. The, the Tonka joined the Horde, even though we don't ever see them. The Tonka joined the Horde back in Wrath. The the Yongal haven't joined anybody, but the, the, there's like two The Yongal are groups. still angry and worshipping fire or whatever they're doing. Yeah, but there's still two Tauren groups already joined the Horde. I, I wouldn't have expected the High Mountain to go Alliance. It would have been cool, because then I could play a, a, a Tauren over on the Alliance side, but I get you. And the Nightborn thing, uh, we've argued it to death, and I don't feel like arguing it again. I get how that works, but I, I it's just interesting to see the Alliance... Not great at making alliances in this particular case. This expansion was not their their time to shine on alliance making. I mean, to be fair, they've been pretty bad at that for a long time. I don't know. I don't know. But let's go ahead and go back to the Antorus and cinematic because the stuff that happened in there was pretty significant. Obviously, we saw what happened to Azeroth, but we also saw kind of a cohesive end to Illidan's story. The story that's played out all Legion long, really. And that story, when it started out, I was kind of uncertain about it, especially when Xeras showed up and started, you know, waxing poetic about Storm Rage. <laughs> and yet, as we progressed, he kind of grew on me, and he's been growing on me. How do you guys feel about the end of Illidan, as it were? And I'm not going to say the end, the end, because obviously it's open-ended, where if they wanted to bring him back in, they probably could. But for now that chapter's done how do you guys feel that went i actually really like how it ended or at least it did a couple things that i've been begging them to do with illidan for a very long time first of all they finally gave him back some form of humanity and like as you see him interacting particularly with velen the sly smirk the smile the the sort of the thing that he has not done in how long he actually looks like there's a weight being lifted from him. Like, you know, it, it's it's the end of his journey. He knows it. It's This is everything that he's done for all these years, finally paying off. And finally, his end goal is complete where he believes that, you know, the biggest threat that I need to deal with is gone now. And you can see some of that 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 merriment almost come back to him. The other important thing that I think about that, too, is that he had a lasting impact on Velen. And you can see that in the the comment that Velen makes when, you know, Illidan talks about, you know, the fa- the fate of our people uh, and Velen goes, the fate of our people or the basically our destiny was never in the or our fate in the hand. People was never in destiny's hands or whatever. Uh, it's a sort of moment where it's like Velen's like, yeah, I'm, I actually took your lessons 
to heart where you said it's time for us to take control ourselves, you were right. That's going to have a lasting impact. And it, the other important thing is Velen then channels the light, which means that realization doesn't break him from that. He still has access to it. And it just adds to that sort of growth of that character. And I think that's cool because it's probably the first time that Illidan had a a positive impact on a character throughout his entire career as a, and as who, a hero. who really saw the whole buddy-buddy thing between Illidan yeah. and Velen coming? Like, right, that, that was so out there. It was out there, but it worked really well. Rossi, what do you think? Uh, I like I, I never I never thought Zero was pumping up Illidan in the first place. I always found her to be, and I've argued with everybody about this, and I still maintain that I was right. And we had a lengthy discussion her, about this too yeah. on on Lore Watch. So yeah, I, I, I'm right I there with you. Felt, I always felt like Zera had no perspective, and was never actually trying to tell you what to think so much as trying to figure out what you thought. And her role in this was basically to be rejected. And I thought that that was really well done when Illidan's like, no, I won't be the puppet you want. I won't, if I'm going to fight this, I'm going to fight it my way. I'm going to use the the tools I've chosen. I'm going to be myself. And I don't think for like, I've, I've seen a lot of criticism that they've, they've, this was a redemption arc for Illidan. I don't think it was. I don't think Illidan was redeemed at any point because he never backed away from what he did he had reasons for what he did that's not the same thing as saying what he did was always the right thing to do and it's like... really like there's a point in this there's a point in the expansion where you're like going through the various zero things and you see the moment where he gets his eyes burned out by sargeras and he says i realized at that moment there was nothing we could do there was nothing we could do if we won that war they'd still be out there if we went and beat them again there would still be more of them it'd be an endless endless wave and there was no way to win if we kept fighting like we were and that's the bit in the cinematic where he says to he basically says to to Velen, the hunter is nothing without the hunt he quotes which is my re- ev. that's my yeah. ev right there yeah and uh wasn't that what he said to her no, Two, she said that no, that's to what him. she said to him. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's that whole bit where he says that he says the hunter is nothing without. Or the no, hunt. no, no. He did say that to her. Excuse me. Yeah, I thought that was him to her. He but... said he said you, the hunter is nothing without the hunt, and you are nothing without me. Yeah, and when he and when that he kind says of set here, her off on her yeah. whole where she went. Yeah. And he, when he says it here, he says it in this like just this tone of you know yeah I could leave with you, but this is what I'm for. This is what I. This is what I chose. This is the path I walked. It leads here. And when they pull Sargeras in and he's there in front of him, Illidan's just, you know, at last. You know, he's he's ready for this. Whether or not it's, I wouldn't say it's a good fate for him. I mean, it's certainly, you know, at best he's going to be spending an awful long time fighting Sargeras and, and, and while trapped. But I think the, the things that, that happen after the cinematic, like the quest where you go and you deliver his last words to his brother and his and to Tyrande, I feel like Illidan finally moved past obsessed stalker, you know, obsessed stalker wanting to be Tyrande's boyfriend. I feel like he moved past that. Like, I think that's one of the things the Legion novel, like the, the Illidan novel sets up. He still cared about her, but she wasn't, she was more like the way he cared about everybody. Like it, it was, it was too no big longer for it was no longer she was his whole universe. Well, it's, it's more like the world of Azeroth is too many people. Mm-hmm. It's too many people for Illidan to care about personally. Or to kind of comprehend even. Yeah, it's, but he, it's too Tyrande much. Was, Tyrande was kind of that representation of everything that yeah. Azeroth was. And, and he, says in, he says in the letter, he says something like the effect of, you were always the best of us. Your faith, your steadfastness. And these are things he doesn't have. And that's fascinating to me that despite the fact that he doesn't, he views himself as having neither faith nor steadfastness. And yet, where is he at the end? And that's because he's trying to be her. I feel like Illidan, his story in particular, is a really interesting one because I feel like, I mean, you go back all the way to the War of the Ancients. I feel like his story has been one of a person who was kind of choked by the weight of their own quote unquote destiny. Like, he was born with it. He was born with the golden eyes. So everybody's always told him from day one, yeah, you're meant to be something really important. And he spent, like, the entirety of his life under that shadow with that weight on his shoulders. If I'm so important, yeah. If I'm so important, yeah, it's right. The moment that he 
turned on Zira was the moment that he shrugged off that shadow and said, no, I get to choose and I'm going to choose and I'm going to choose what I feel is right. And I feel like what we saw at the end of Antorus was, was it a grim fate? Yeah, but it was his choice and that made all the difference in the world. So I feel like it was a, it was a fitting, it was a fitting end for him. And I really like that moment just between him and Velen in that cinematic was just, I don't know. There was something about it. It just like really hit me in a good way. <laughs> I was like, I've, I've described it a couple of times now. I was feeling like lethal weapon in a way, like the rigs and Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, you know, Illidan's the crazy guy and Velen's the old, you know, I'm too old for this guy. And together they actually worked. They worked better than like so many other combinations in, in various like storylines. Velen and Illidan actually worked well together. They 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 played well off each other. Illidan punctured a lot of Velen's, for lack of a better word, I don't want to say pretensions, but like the stuff he'd grown up believing. I over feel like Andwin Andwin started that process in Prophet's Lesson. Like Andwin kind of pulled him out of that reflective funk, if you want to call it that. That Velen was dredged in where he was just kind of obsessed with sorting through these visions and seeing the future and Anduin's like no no come back to right now because things are happening and we need you and that kind of started to pull Velen out of it and I feel like Illidan pulled him the rest of the way out of it and also in his own way in his own really gruff kind of (laughs) you want to smack him but you don't kind of way helped Velen come to terms with the magnitude of what had happened to Argus, what had happened to Velen's home and reach a resolution like an internal resolution about it all. Because the thing is, is like even when, even when you know, Sargeras stabs the planet and and pulls away and he's getting imprisoned or whatever, Velen's looking at this and he kind of sighs. But it's like this sigh of like, okay we're done now. Like, it's not it's not a panic or anything like that. And it's not like a heavy sigh. It's more like a relief kind of thing, which felt weird. But it felt like the weight of the world had been lifted off of Velen's shoulders. And maybe now he can move on. Does that make sense? Kind of does, because you get that, that scene where the three of them, it's uh, Velen, Magni, and Cadgar are in the ship as it's leaving. Yeah. And they're watching as Sargeras gets pulled off of Azeroth. Yeah. And it's like, there's just that one moment where he's, Sargeras turns to stare at where the beam is coming from. And the three of them are just standing there watching this. And I got to think at least one of them, like maybe Cadgar, at least Cadgar is going to be like, I do not believe what I'm looking at. I know. Because it's, it's right there. It's like, he's the size of the planet. What are we doing, man? <laughs> oh my. And meanwhile, you know? Bella's just like, yep, this is what happens. <laughs> in the universe yeah, showed up the last time yeah yeah that's uh i don't know i i felt like illidan finally got he got the story that he didn't get in burning crusade this yep. this story kind of told everything that i wanted to hear from burning crusade and we got i i do appreciate the illidan novel in particular because the novel told us a lot more about burning crusade oh, yeah. than burning crusade yeah, yeah, did yeah. Um, and a lot more of what Illidan was doing while Burning Crusade was going on. I highly recommend that novel, by the way. Um, if any of our listeners haven't read that yet, you should go read that. Um, particularly if you want to see how Burning Crusade and Legion tie together, because they do. They they really do. Um, so it's sort of like this was Burning Crusade Part 2, almost. I, I actually really like that as a thought, because I feel that Legion really was the absolute continuation of everything that started back in Burning Crusade. Yeah. But it was really satisfying. Like, I think that this yes. was a satisfying ending. What do you think, Rossi? Was this satisfying? I, I, it was certainly satisfying. But one of the things I think is that we're we're kind of selling it short by saying it's the continuation of, of Burning Crusade. We I are, but I mean, that's this. like no, one no, big aspect of it. No, but here's the thing. Burning Crusade itself was just a continuation of Warcrafts 1 and 2. And... What we just got with Legion, when when Sargeras gets pulled off the planet and jammed in his prison, that is the end of something that's been hanging around Warcraft as a setting since it started. Before World of Warcraft. Before Warcraft 3. Before it's, This is something that was a big part of Warcraft's 1 and 2. Sargeras has been around forever. He's been an omnipresent threat forever. The reason the Horde exists 
is because of the Burning Legion. The reason that orcs are green. The re- all this stuff. Like, think about what a huge moment this is. It, it, is it a satisfying ending? Yes, but it's also like, it's like the slamming shut of a door that's like a thousand miles across. It's just the sound. In a way, the only way to do it would be to have that moment where you see Sargeras stab Azeroth. Because that's the only thing that conveys the sheer size of what just happened. Oh, yeah. Is having that giant figure go, no. And I don't even know if he was trying, like, we don't even know what he was trying to do there. Like, we, you know, was he trying to kill Azeroth? Was he trying to jam his sword into it so he could hold on to it? Like, what he was, was he doing? Trying to, well, he was trying to corrupt Azeroth. Like, that was his whole endgame thing. And no, no, this was I, like his... I know that. But I, I mean specifically the bit with the sword. I don't know what the intent there is. I think he's just trying the, to kill the planet? What, I, what was he doing? Well, I think that, that the intent there was that obviously his plans did not work. He could not convert Azeroth. So in order to prevent it from becoming a void titan, he tried to kill it. Because it was like, we can't do things my way. Okay, we're going to do things my way that one time that I cut a planet in half. See, it's interesting to me because... A lot of people have pointed out where he stabbed is interesting. I know. Solthus, yeah. I, well, he's like, mm, that's uh, problematic on a number of levels. I, I have a hypothetical question for you guys, but um, I think I'll just present that at the end of this here. So go ahead and talk about the swords more. And where it's located, and well, just okay, just go um, nuts, you guys. Do what you do. <laughs> uh, th- I think you know. Let Joe talk in a little bit. I just wanted to basically the sword. The the sword is, as far as we know, based on like stuff I've seen tweeted by people at Blizzard. The sword is Gorable. It is the sword of, of Sargeras. Um, and he drove it into Silithus, and it's taking up most of Silithus. Like it's, you, it's hard to say where in Silithus he stabbed because it's hard to say where in Silithus he didn't stab. Ankaraj is still there. Yeah, but that's pretty much it. Everything else, like everything north of Ankaraj, Cenarian Hold, everybody that was living out there at the time, all of the Scorpids, the dude that you used to summon Thunderon, like all of that. Bye-bye. Yep. Yeah, there's a giant freaking hole with a big sword sticking out of it. It's a zone-wide hole. A giant lava-filled hole, essentially. And, it's a sword-filled uh, hole. It's a sword. It's a big sword. It's like... This sword is like... I, you can it see is, it from Thunder Bluff. <laughs> yeah, it's... It is using every bit of that new draw distance they put in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, I kind of feel like they put that in just so people could see that sword from a distance. Because, yeah, it's... It is enormous. It is... Do you remember, like, when you go to the... You go to... um. Oh bloody heck! It's it's in the uh, Eastern Kingdoms. It's where the the Twilight's Hammer raid was. Bastion of Twilight, that zone. I can't remember the name off the top of my head. The Twilight Highlands. Thank you. You're I welcome. should just say Bastion of Twilight. When you go to Bastion of Twilight, you had to fly up to the top. Yeah. Yes. There's that that and place. it's very and it's, tall. It's so tall that when you try to fly there, if you're not close enough to it, you hit the ceiling and your mount won't go up any higher until you get closer. Yeah. They had to add more distance. The sword is like four times taller than that, easily. It's it's very tall. And that's, I mean, Bastion of Twilight is very high up. Anybody who's done Cataclysm and flown to Bastion of Twilight, you know how high up that is. It takes a while to fly up to it. That's how big it is. Like, it, 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 like you go, okay, well, I I'll just hold space even, for now. I can't even comprehend the size of that sword if it's four times that. Cause I'm just I, estimating. I don't actually know, but it's big. Well, you could actually see, like, they're, they're because... Ankaraj isn't gone. It's yeah. like the sword's close enough. We'll, we will have a size scale comparison that we can compare it to. Uh, screenshots right now aren't doing a whole lot because we're not. It, it hasn't physically really been there for everybody. Like I can't go and fly there and see that yet. But yeah, once you have I can, to basically, yeah, either when LFR is done and it's come out fully, or when you kill, yeah. um, you know, Argus and get to see that and that final cinematic. It unlocks but, like Argus unlocked for people. Yeah. The thing that I'm interested in really with the sword, though, is I'm kind of curious if he missed. Like, I'm wondering if that Well, the planet's not dead, but we've been told that Battle for Azeroth, the planet is bleeding and we're, like, collecting its essence in these necklaces and trying to bring it all back together. But think about it, right? Like, his entire goal is to, and you sort of brought this up, like, his entire goal is to destroy the Void. He doesn't want the Void to be... A thing, and before we ripped him off the planet, he was communing with Azeroth. Like 
I mean, he was that cloud monster sort of enveloping it. But you can't tell me that a Titan, even even a corrupted one like Sargeras, couldn't see or sense or smell if something was off. Right. And we've we've, quote unquote, killed a few of the old gods, which we know are are all sorts of be this corrupting agent for the planet. We've had that that sort of verified all throughout Legion as well. Uh, and as soon as we completed the Emerald Nightmare, what if he wasn't aiming for Silithus? What if he was aiming to try to kill whatever last old god was left on the planet? Like he was aiming for Nazoth? Like he was aiming for Nazoth and just missed because we we happened to pull him away from his bullseye. So because a sword that big, and you said it yourself, he could split a planet in half. Even being pulled, he could have killed Azeroth if he really wanted to. I fully believe that. I think he wasn't trying to kill Azeroth because from the beginning, I think he was trying to sway Azeroth or bring Azeroth to to his side. She she wasn't been born yet, despite what level of, of conscious thought she has. She hasn't been born yet. So he could tell her, you know, I, your, your fight's about to come. I'm going to, to make sure that you are free of this corruption, but you have to finish the fight. I don't think he was trying to kill her. I think he was going for the last old god because we know Titans can kill them. They just don't want to. Because they think that it'll destroy everything. I think Sargeras knows more than we than than we think he does at this point. Anything to add to that, Rossi? Uh, I'm, I'm not so sure he missed so much as we don't know what he was trying to do. Um, I think missed. I don't. I keep wondering what his goal was with that attack. Was he just trying to blow up the planet? Uh, was he just trying to wound the planet? Was he trying to say I don't? If he was aiming for an old god, he wasn't aiming for Nazoth because there's an old god right where he hit maybe Cthulhu's tentacles go out underneath you know well the old gods are enormous their tentacles go out underneath where they're imprisoned that's so there's no chance he he didn't hit Cthulhu but what if Nazoth is doing that thing where let's say let's say theoretically we we completely made the old gods that we fought so far dormant we know that there was no love between the old gods what if Nazoth was going to claim that dormant power what if Nazoth is trying to go supercharge himself? What if he's going to go to Cthulhu and all those other places, See, to, to Yaxaran right? and stuff like that? I don't think we even made them dormant, and here's why. In Cataclysm, Bastion of Twilight is being run by Cho'Gall. Cho'Gall is directly invoking the Master, and the mm-hmm. Master is Cthulhu. As long as they're around, there's like, I don't think any of them are done. I think at any moment, sure. all three of them could come up and Nazoth getting up in the next, whenever he does, like, you know, we know that Nazoth is awake now. The other two weren't asleep in the first place. So I don't know. I, there's a lot we don't know yet, but one thing is absolutely clear to me. Um, the point you made about Sargeras being able to destroy the planet is, is well-made. Uh, he has destroyed planets before he could absolutely destroy this one. And so, he had the opportunity to do so before we pulled him off of it, but he didn't. Well, we definitely, before we pulled him off of it, he felt he'd won. Like he had no reason to do it. He he'd won. He was there. He made it to to Azeroth. But, Argus well, was created. He assumed Argus was going to kill off the rest of the pantheon, and he was going to have Azeroth. He didn't have any reason to do anything. But we also we but also once, don't know what he did in the meantime between you know, him and Azeroth, right? That's true. We don't know that. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know even what. We don't know if he was trying to corrupt her or if he was just whispering sweet nothings or saying, hey, baby, I'm home or what? Yeah, really just there's no there's so much more going on here. We know that the seat of the Pantheon was in the great dark beyond itself. Not it wasn't in it wasn't around Argus, like the the, the planet. Obviously, right. Argus, the Titan yeah. appeared there, but it, the seat of the Pantheon was out in the great dark beyond. There's so much like. I, I feel like there's there's so much left to be done. Like the Titans themselves, we 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 just got to see echoes of them. We didn't get to see them in their full. The only one we got to see in his full was Sargeras himself. That's the yeah. only one we saw in, in full manifestation. Even Argus, Argus wasn't in full manifestation. Argus wasn't fully realized. He even calls it my broken world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I don't, you know, I I I'm sitting here kind of stammering because the sheer amount of it just becomes impossible to really quantify. Okay, totally well, unrelated. I do want to ask one thing. Did anybody else think that they called Metzen back to voice uh, Amonthal? Because it totally sounded like 
<laughs> I don't know, but there's always that possibility. However, we are running out of time here, so we should probably start wrapping it up. Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Lorewatch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Uh, they have several Blizzard titles. I know that we mentioned Illidan, like the novel Illidan in the podcast here. That's one of the ones that they have available in audiobook format, and you can pick that up with as your free audiobook with that 30-day trial. If you're interested in checking that out or any of Blizzard's other titles or any of the tons and tons and tons of other books that they have available, you can do that by signing up at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Um, as far as the expansion goes, actually, no, before before I get into this, before I get into this, um, if you guys have any questions, obviously we didn't get to any emails today. I had a list, but we kind of went all over the place, so I'm sorry we didn't get to them. However, if you have any questions for Lorewatch, specifically surrounding the end of the Legion expansion and Taurus, all of that, you can send those to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. And then next episode, we'll go ahead and dig back into the mailbag and get to you guys' questions, because I know there were already some there waiting. We'll get to those first. Um... Final thoughts here, though. I, I have a question for you guys. And this is kind of a hypothetical, right? Okay, so Sargeras is a titan, but he's also this being of, like, seething hatred and everything, right? And malevolence, whatever, what have sure, you. Sure, Bad guy, right? Do you think that Battle for Azeroth and the fighting between the factions, do you think that's something that's just naturally coming to a head? Or do you think that... The fact that Sargeras plunged his weapon into the world, that the presence of that weapon is what is fomenting that aggression somehow. I told you it was a hypothetical. I believe that it is within the realm of possibilities because we don't understand what that weapon is. We see that it is created through the manifestation of his power, which essentially means that it is a part of him. So a part of him exists outside of that prison. And if it is carrying that essence sure maybe that's the case my question is to that if that is the case how far does that power radiate because we know that this war rages across the entirety of azeroth everybody sort of feels these aggressive tendencies well how deep Uh, did the sword go we don't know right we don't know that either so i'm curious if that's if that's the case or and and this is the, the the other thing if the sword being there is simply causing the agitation of Azeroth, and because we are all creatures created by, essentially created by Azeroth in one manner or another, we are children of Azeroth. That is exactly what Amonthal refers to us as, yeah. children of Azeroth. If we are just feeling the effects of that discomfort. That's what I mean by the whole fomenting that aggression. Like, it's got not, something to do with it. It's sure, radiating. It, well, that that's what I mean. I don't thing. think it... Maybe it's not the the sword itself that's causing it, but the fact that it's an open wound like that. Okay. What do you think, Rossi? If it's Gorobal, mm-hmm. if it's the actual one half weapon that was once the great weapon he used before and it broke in fighting with Amonthal with Ag- with Agrimar, mm-hmm. then by definition it's broken. It's a it's a weapon that he he reforged to match his new self. That means he he basically this is a guy who's exploding from within. He's a volcano. He's like worse than. Do you remember how uh, how Deathwing had that problem where his like yeah. oh yeah malevolence yeah. would make him explode from within? Sargras has that a million times worse. He's got literal volcanoes erupting off of his skin. He's constantly cracking open. His choices have destroyed him, and he's incapable of seeing it. He very much is. He's almost the patron saint of this idea you see over and over again in Warcraft of people who snap and then try to prove everybody else would make the same decisions. You know, and and I think we're getting, we're seeing a lot of whether or not the sword itself is doing so magically or as Joe pointed out because the world itself is injured and is screaming or what. I mean that's that's something we'll find out in due time, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Sargeras shows up and everybody wants to fight. I think to a certain degree Sargeras is like a personification of everybody wants to fight. That's what yeah. he is. He's he is you know he's rage. You know he he had a perfect goal. He had a perfect purpose back back when he was you know in the pantheon. He he had a perfect, and by perfect I literally mean the old Latin sense of completed. 
purpose. He knew what to do and he did it. And he, he never questioned it. He never thought it was unnecessary until it got broken on him and he broke. And everything he's done since is in, in the assumption that the universe is broken and needs to be purified. He doesn't view the cycle of things as the way it should be. He thinks it's just, it's all gone wrong. It's all broken and I have to clean it up. I have to fix it. So We need to unplug it and plug it back in again. Yeah, the, the router. <laughs> <laughs> However you want to look at it, though. That's what being here is a really bad thing. Sargeras is the worst IT agent ever. <laughs> yeah. But th- th- that sword being there in Silithus, I mean, whether or not it's he was aiming an old god, whether or not he was just trying to stab the planet, whatever he was doing, that sword being there all by itself is a terrible thing. Because think about it. It's a Titan artifact unlike anything we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's a piece of one. And it's just sticking into the planet. I think the Azerite might be the least of our problems. Okay, well, that wraps us up for the show. Thanks, you guys, so much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. 